Welcome to the CanMed Coffee Talk podcast, where we talk with the leading minds in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. I am your host, Ben Amaralt. I'm the marketing manager at Medicinal Genomics and proud member of the team that puts on the CanMed conference. I hope that all of you will join us this spring for three full days of world-class cannabis education at CanMed 2022 in Pasadena, California. It all starts on May 3rd with our full-day medical practicum, led by Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, Dr. Dustin Sulak, Dr. Kevin Spellman, and Eloise Thiessen, NP. Each of them will share the latest medical cannabis research, including information on dosing, drug interactions, and different product types. They will also share the clinical experience they have acquired treating patients with medical cannabis. This really is a must-attend event for any healthcare professionals who are interested in recommending medical cannabis, but it's not limited to those folks. Anyone who is interested in learning more about medical cannabis can and should join us for this event. Head over to canmedevents.com practicum to learn more. That brings us to May 4th and 5th, the main event, CanMed 2022. Two full days of oral presentations, panel discussions, poster presentations, and industry exhibitors covering the latest advancements in cannabis science, medicine, cultivation, and safety testing. We are really excited about this year's program. It might be our best yet. Just look at our keynote presenters. We have Dr. Ethan Russo presenting cannabis and psychiatry, Dr. Seth Crawford talking about innovations in hemp breeding, Grace Bandong will talk about building a comprehensive analytical testing program, and Dr. Bonnie Goldstein will discuss cannabis medicine for children. Those presentations alone are worth the price of admission, but please go to canmedevents.com to see the full schedule. And if you want a preview of what you can expect at CanMed 2022, check out the CanMed Archive, which is a searchable video library of all the past CanMed presentations and panels. You can find that at canmedevents.com as well, and there is a link in the show description. This episode, we welcome back Inia Fia to talk about the push to standardize cannabis testing labs in California. In late November, the California Department of Cannabis Control issued a statement that they are planning to standardize operating procedures and methods for California cannabis labs by January 2023. This announcement got mixed reaction. On the one hand, consumers and producers have expressed frustration with inconsistencies and in lab results, so they welcomed the idea. However, many laboratory professionals were quick to point out that standardization is easier said than done, especially because the state didn't offer much insight into what exactly the DCC would standardize or how they would do it. Any is qualified to speak on this subject because he is the chief science officer at CannaSafe, a licensed cannabis testing lab in Southern California. He has also set up multiple labs with best in-class methodology, processes, and technology throughout his career. And at CannaSafe, he has led the team towards greater credibility, consistency, and accountability for their clients, regulators, and consumers. During our conversation, we discuss why lab standardization is a good idea, the problem of lab shopping, why some labs intentionally inflate THC values, how natural variations in the cannabis plant can create a range of potency results, 
how mishandling certified reference materials can throw off lab results, why labs need to be more transparent with their measurement of uncertainty, and whether standardization will stifle lab innovation, which is so important in an emerging industry. Before we get to my conversation with Innie, I would like to thank this episode's sponsor, Canasafe. Canasafe is a California-based cannabis analytical testing lab paving the way in the industry through research, education, and social equity efforts. Championing safe and effective cannabis, hemp, and CBD for all, one test at a time. Learn more at csalabs.com. Okay, and without any further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Innie Afia. Good afternoon, Annie. Thanks for joining us. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. Of course, always. All right. So lab standardization in California. Were you surprised when you saw this news come out in late November or was it something you knew was coming? Um, This sort of came as a surprise announcement. I mean, if you looked at the regulations, or I should say SB 544, you knew something should have been coming, but the way it was announced was kind of a surprise. What was surprising about it? Well, you know, it, it just seemed like it was just thrown out there as, oh, here you go. Let's see how people digest this. Um, I felt like there could have been a little more uh, meat to it. Um, it was just sort of, Hey, we're going to standardize. And then everybody's like, okay, what does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, should have been yeah. a little more mid potatoes to that. Right. And, and so, have there been details kind of since then? And I was going to ask you about that because, I mean, in the articles that I've read, it's basically that, you know, the DCC is supposed to standardize operating procedures and methods for California cannabis labs by January 2023. Now, have you gotten any sort of indication of, whether they are going to involve labs like yourselves kind of in that process in terms of recommending certain instruments or methods or standards? Has there been any more details come out about that? Um, You know, there hasn't been any formal details that I've seen uh, sort of come out about that. Um, However, I have seen something about the DCC Cannabis Committee uh, being formed and they were asking for uh, some representative uh, folks to apply to be on that uh, committee. So I suppose those are all connected and headed towards that way. And I've heard some new stories about, you know, state reference labs and whatnot um, that's underway. Um, so I would assume all this is tied into that. The state recently, um, I've been sending out emails to labs, getting trying to get them to standardize the way they report on their COA, specifically how labs are reporting total cannabinoids and, and, some, and some units on the limits of detection and limits of quantification. So I think they're already starting work towards that standardization and getting the COA to all look the same is probably one way uh, they're trying to make it easier to quickly read that and, and folks who understand it. Okay. And now... Do you have any indication, are they going to actually 
standardize certain equipment? Like are labs like yours going to potentially have to purchase new equipment? I know that 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 stuff doesn't come cheap, especially when you're talking about, you know, the instruments used to analyze pesticides and things like that. Yeah, you know, honestly, um, if they do it correctly, which again, I'm excited to see how the state plans to execute this, because um, it's one thing to say it and a secondary thing to execute it. Um, I don't believe that they would ever move to the standardization of equipment or even necessarily uh, a single compendial method, let's say, for instance, an AOAC method or, uh, or an ASDM method. Um, I do feel that in standardization, you know, they would recommend some things. Let's say we're talking about potency, um, sort of the way USP does it is if they are um, putting out a compendial method, they refer to a certain column, like a consumable, like a column, they would say USB L1 column to designate like a C18 column, right? They wouldn't necessarily say, oh, the C18 Raptor from Restec or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, Agilent or whatnot. So um, I feel like in some sense, no, it wouldn't necessarily tie you to a, a, a certain vendor. Um, it might force some labs to upgrade equipment. Um, personally, uh, my lab has high level equipment that is able to really meet the demands or whatever sort of regulation might be put out there in terms of limits of detection and whatnot. But for folks who maybe were not thinking ahead of that, yes, they might have to upgrade in order to meet certain limits of detections if those are changed or even certain, um, let's say, potency, if they force you to look at the spectra, you may have to get a different detector. If you have a UV vis, uh, you cannot do that, but you may have to go to a diode array detector to look at, you know, the wavelength, several wavelengths of cannabinoids. Yeah, and you touched on a good point there. Is, is it on the table that some of the actual requirements or regulations might change as well? Are you going to potentially be, have to be looking for new pesticides, new microbials, things like that? You know, I'm really hoping that they will. Um, what is really of concern is the category one pesticides that currently essentially allows the labs to set their own limits of detection. Now, the state does say you have to get to uh, 0.1 uh, microgram per gram, but essentially it allows labs to set as high as that. And others who are perhaps more concerned about consumer safety or perhaps um, are utilizing the sensitivity of their instruments are validating accordingly and doing the statistical analysis to arrive at a set LODQ based on um, what they've done with matrix interference and whatnot. But then there are just other labs who may take advantage of that situation and um, push that limit as far as possible. So it creates this uneven playing ground in the industry where, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll touch on this. It kind of allows for lab shopping based right. on whose LOQ is here, whose LOD is here. If my sample passes at one lab, it's going to fail at the other lab. So, hey, I'm going to go here. And that's what we're trying to avoid, having that sort of um, um, uneven playground and just caring more about consumer safety and, and making it uh, standard. That's where I would assume the state would go um, after things like that. Right. So, yeah, maybe it's, it's a good point. We should kind of set the table here and, and talk about the reason why the state's looking to to standardize and that is for the most part to to tackle this whole issue of variability between lab results and which can lead to as you said 
lab shopping. So for people who aren't familiar with that term, maybe um, you could explain it a bit. And then I'd also like to, to ask you kind of how pervasive is lab shopping? Is it as common as we, we hear it is? Yeah, you know, um, lab shopping really is around um, certain manufacturers. Um, there's about, I believe there's about 43, I want to say 43 labs in the state currently. Uh, I might be wrong on that because, you know, new ones are getting added daily. Um, right. But essentially, it, it it's great, right? There's competition, there's options. But because there is no standard um, uh, way or standard methodology, folks would go out to, you know, I might have a, a certain flower. Maybe I used it by side, maybe I didn't. I'm going to send it out to five labs. Um, they're all going to come back, given we're dealing with an agricultural product. They're all going to come back differently. Potency is going to be a little different. Um, based on limits of detection, my pesticide uh, residue might pass or fail. So as a manufacturer, um, I'm going to, you know, probably go with the lab that is uh, most likely to pass me based on whatever standards they've set for themselves. And I really think the problem with lab shopping is um, it's, it's many factors fold uh, issues in many ways. So for one, it, it, do, it does force competition in a detrimental way where all parties lose. I look at it this way. Uh, first of all, the consumer loses, right? As a lab may falsify results leading to higher uh, higher prices for subpotent products and perhaps even false negative products uh, where uh, a contaminant is being put out there. So consumers are losing in that end. The buyers and the dispensary lose because they're paying more for inflated values if a lab is cheating on potency. Um, the regulators lose because essentially they lose control of that process if they don't have a standardized uh, method. Um, the labs themselves lose, right? As there's a race to the bottom on pricing uh, we all know inflation is rising, consumables are higher, test costs, unfortunately, seem to go lower. You know, everything in the world is going higher, but somehow test costs seem to be going lower, which doesn't make sense, right? Competition's great, but they're losing in that way. Um, the employees lose work as, you know, a race to the bottom is causing labs to now shut down as they can't remain competitive, they cannot afford to pay employees. You know, of course, what happens? The taxpayers lose because People go on employment, unemployment increases. It's just a slippery slope. You can see how it really isn't great for anybody to allow this to continue. Absolutely. And in terms of shopping, is it mostly around potency numbers? Is it around contamination? Is it a little bit of both? Or is there sort of a test that, that folks are shopping for more than others? Well, personally, I can tell you that I see it a lot around potency. Um, where folks are sending in samples and you are doing your best to give um, a high quality controlled result and folks are saying, hey, well, lab B is giving me 10 points higher on it. So you get a flower in and you're testing at 19, but lab B is testing it at 27, which clearly doesn't make sense. Now, yes, there's arguments around, hey, it's an agricultural product. Is it a top nug? Is it a bottom? Was it outdoor? Was it indoor? You know, you know, there's variances, but those sort of variances are highly unlikely. Um, so, yeah. Sort of in addition to that, I mean, at least here locally, we're out in Massachusetts. We're kind of seeing some THC numbers get up in the realm of 
the very unlikely. Like uh, a friend of mine recently texted me and said that there is a, a dispensary that had a, a bud on the on their menu that was 47% THC, which, I mean, you tell me, <laughs> does that seem likely? So, you know, as far as flour, that is a flat, uh, what do you want to call it? Just, just a lie. That seems highly unlikely. I don't care how great your growing conditions are, but now you're starting to push the limit of what the plants could produce. 47% THC, that would mean THCA would have been at least 13% higher. Um, I mean, now you're just beginning to push the limits of what's possible. And, and we really do see that a lot. You know, we, we really do see, um, I've done some sort of um, uh, round robin testing uh, with some amenable labs where we've sent some samples out, right? Flour, homogenized flour. And what's been interesting, some, some, some of them know about it, some don't. But what's been interesting is all other cannabinoid numbers would line up within 1% to 2% except THCA. Um, for certain labs would be 10 points higher. I'm talking about I would get 20, they would get 30. Or other labs would get 20, some labs would get 30. So it kind of begs the question, when you're looking at about 10 different cannabinoids and they're all lining up but one, hmm, why is lab B all of a sudden 10 points higher on this one compound, but all the other compounds are spot on with everybody else? I mean, that's a clear indication of inflating potency for flower based on that. Of course, those labs will not do it based on an edible Delta 9, knowing that, well, if you if, if manufacturer gives you a 10 milligram edible, you know, you're not going to give them back a result of 15 milligrams, right? It doesn't quite work out or, or 20 milligrams, but you can on flour um, and they build in this unscrupulous work. And this is what we see. Of course, we would lose business uh, because, well, lab B does give them that number. And unfortunately, not much we as labs can really do about it. You know, the onus is really on the state to enforce some of those things um, from happening. Yeah, and I have to imagine that a lot of this is based too on the fact that consumers really look to that THC number as the indicator of quality for the cannabis. Um, I'm still waiting for the day when that's not the case and that consumers will, will look at, you know, aroma or bag appeal or just flavor more so than just a raw THC number. You know, I totally, you and I both, I think we've beat this thing to death about, hey, it's not just about that THC number as an indicator of quality. I mean, cannabinoids or cannabis, depending on how you're using it, um, really depends on a myriad of factors. You know, we all talk about the entourage effect and whatnot. You know, there's terpenes effects. And there's been talk back when where people were saying, well, you know, this 12% flower from California knocks my socks off and I get a 30% from Nevada and it doesn't do anything. And it's like, well, yeah, because it's not just about the numbers. It doesn't mean that, you know, the lab in the other state was cheating, but it's not just about that THC number. It's an entourage effect along with your body as well, your receptors and how, how those behave, how you, your genetics are playing a factor into it. So uh, yeah, it'd be great on the day when you can really, you know, uh, look more to the signs of other compounds and not even just cannabinoids, but the whole set of compounds in cannabis and how they play with your receptors to really give you, you know, certain relief that you're looking for. Well, that and, you know, not all of us are looking to get their 
our socks knocked off either, right? And you know, when you you're buying alcohol, you're not going for Everclear every time. You're you're going for a, a nice wine or or something like that. So exactly. one of these days, it's gonna change. One of, one of these days, and we can only hope. <laughs> Uh, so, but talking about the variation between labs and, you know, we've touched on the fact that, you know, some labs might be unscrupulous and kind of inflating numbers, but I was wondering if you could talk about, you know, just more natural variations, whether it be like you've touched upon before that the plant is, is not homogeneous and there's going to be some, some variation in the plant itself. Um, but what about different instruments, different, different reference standards, different things like that could could those be, be causing the variations as well that we're observing? You know, that's really a good point uh, that you brought up, Ben. Yes, so um, when we talk about, you know, an agricultural product that's grown acres and you have lights hitting different parts of it and, and your nutrients uh, getting certain parts or, or disease hitting certain parts of it, uh, yeah, your cultivar would necessarily have the same value homogeneously throughout. So there's, yeah, lots of other factors that affect that. Um, honestly, uh, it starts off in sampling, even how you sample the product, right? When you're sampling for uh, an assay, are you doing it in a statistically significant manner? Are you picking evenly or are you only picking top, no top, top nogs versus, you know, smaller popcorn, but, you know, depending on what you're looking for. And then, yes, you get to the instrument there is the issue with the um, manufacturer of your uh, certified reference material, right? You have to vet that very well, make sure it's an ISO accredited manufacturer and make sure, okay, I've I done my due diligence and make sure that this compound is at the purity that they say it is and is it stable enough? Because I've seen situations where we all know once you mix this cannabinoids, even in standards together, um, interactions, there's some interactions that begin to happen and there is some breakdown and decarboxylation depending on your storage condition and how many cannabinoids are mixed together, it's unstable, right? So the lab has to do the due diligence and make sure they're storing their standards correctly, they're vetting their vendor correctly, and they're calibrating correctly. You know, each of these standards come with a certificate of analysis, just like we put out for the public. You have to look at that. What is the purity of my THCA? Does the vendor who did their work and say, hey, we've done um, the, the analysis and the period is really 90%. So if I'm getting a 1000 PPM standard, um, when you shoot it on your instrument, it's really 900. But as an analyst, am I typing in 1000 into my uh, HPLC? That would be wrong, right? Because the vendor says, this is a 1000 PPM standard. However, based on the purity, it's really 900. So technically mm -hmm. you should be typing in 900. So you can see how things start to get funny if even the analyst may not be even unscrupulous about it, may just be ignorant to that fact. Mm -hmm. They're looking at COAs. Um, these are all things we have to consider that adds to that variability. Right, and all these things can kind of com compound upon each other, right? And kind of create even bigger variances. They, they really do. I mean, we talk about, we talk about methods of, uh, of measurements of uncertainty. You know, has every lab really done this? How you pipette has an effect. Is, was it calibrated? Everything you do, adds to your measurement uncertainty. So has all the labs um, uh, necessarily analyzed for their measurement uncertainty? What is that value? How far away? What is the error that you expect per your result? You know, we've talked about it several different ways. Is that something that should be reported on a COA? Should you report 
your cannabinoid value as a range rather than a single certified value because technically a range makes more sense and it's probably the most accurate. Now I get where folks wouldn't want that, right? If I'm selling and I'm reporting, oh, this sample is between 18 to 21%. Well, I guess um, there are certain folks who are selling it that may not want that, right? But that is the truth. And is that something the state should regulate? You know, I will leave that up to the state to make that decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, smart man. Um, so talking about standardization too, and if the state's going to come out and, and, and dictate certain standards, do you think that that would potentially stifle innovation that the labs need to do? Uh, I know I've listened to panels that you've been on on CanMed before, and, and you've talked about how it never surprises you the different matrices that come through the door and that each one is sort of a different is a small science project to be able to fully analyze it. And how would a standardization push like this sort of prevent you from from doing that? Um, you know, great question. Um, honestly, you got to talk about what the, 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 the rules are looking to standardize, right? It depends really on what you're attempting to standardize. Are we talking about homogenization? Are we talking about the prep method? Talking about sampling or the instrument method, right? I, I think when we talk a lot about this, a lot of folks refer straight to the instrument method, but uh, forget to realize that those other parts play probably a bigger role in um, the variability that we see, how how labs are homogenizing their sample can make a huge difference. You know, you're picking off uh, kefi material versus you're homogenizing the whole uh, flower. Um, you know, it, that has to be regulated. And yes, I do believe if we head towards you know some of maybe the instrument method, it it is going to stifle innovation. You know, you see labs out there as more standards become available. Uh, we're getting to analyze more and more cannabinoids. You see COAs with, you know, 20 or more cannabinoids being analyzed for. This gives a consumer more information. Um, I think if you look at SB 544, you got to ask the question, is it referring to the state reference lab adopting a standard test or for all licensed labs being forced to adopt a single method? You know, it's all about interpretation, right? Um, so, I think the intent of, of the, of the uh, SB 544 is noble, but if the goal is to stabilize an agricultural product's potency, um, enforcement is really the way um, I think they need to head as rather, rather than try to uh, force labs to use a single method, which would stifle the innovation. Um, even when you look at a, a USP, yes, there are compendial methods out there, but it allows also for each individual lab to be able to validate a method per the, the, the criteria set forth by the regulating body, right? Mm -hmm. So yes, you can use my method, or if you don't or don't have that instrument, you can use this other instrument, but you have to validate following this criteria. And that's where things might be a little bit better and easier if the state went that route, right? Um, I, I, you know, honestly, I think they need to perform more on label round robins um, from, with, with all different cannabinoids to get the labs to align a little better. You know, it should be within a 10% deviation. Um, it, it shouldn't be as far as what we're seeing now, up to 40% deviation, right? Um, it shouldn't be able to only force labs to analyze a certain subset of compounds. You know, if they do this, will, will they be forcing you to analyze only THC, CBD, CBDA, CBGA, 
you know, what exactly will they establish a list of compounds? So again, I'm really anxious to see, you know, what kind of, how they execute this, how the DCC execute this, and that'll really determine the success of that program. Yeah. And so would you not necessarily support, but would you expect that the, the state would potentially do sort of a, a proficiency test where they kind of homogenize a, a big batch and send it out to all the labs and then see if um, what the variation is between the results? Uh, most definitely, I would expect that uh, something like NIST has been doing, which you know we've been participating in um, for all the rounds where they homogenize one and send it out. But here's the problem. When the state does this, if a lab is doing something unscrupulous, they know this and they know the right way to do it. So magically, the state numbers from all the labs are probably going to align, right? Right. So I think the state needs, needs to find to a way blinded to do this. Or something, yeah, right? it needs to be blinded. It needs to be really blinded. The state needs to find a way to do this, probably through the manif- uh, producers or cultivators or whoever they want to use without the labs knowing. And, and, and that will be the true test, right? If they just send in some um, manufacturer, hey, you know, we're looking to be a new client. Here's my uh, product. We'll quickly find out which labs are, you know, especially if you send them a homogenized product that'll eliminate the variability or at least reduce the variability. And then you can really see who's um, boosting numbers. (laughs) Absolutely. And now, what do you think about producers and manufacturers having their own in-house testing? Um, Is that something that could sort of help um, regulate or, or stifle some of this lab shopping? Yeah, you know, um, I've worked with a few uh, producers that do that. Um, and some of the best ones work directly with the lab and say, hey, we're going to develop this relationship. I have an HPLC in-house. Um, here's my method. Let me see your method. Let's get on the same page. And then you begin to analyze together and look at the statistical analysis, um, the differences in your methodologies. And you come to some sort of... Um, uh, consensus in what you're doing and those folks get you know um, they would do their in-house and they will be directly in line with what is expected because they wouldn't have to necessarily depend or go lab shopping um, but there are some considerations when you want to uh, do something like this you know for one you should follow some kind of strict QA QC procedures uh, with your third-party lab and it's important that you're aligned with who your CRM vendor is um, even some of your consumables, um, the method, is it standardized? Even the instrument they're using, you know, the labs have to get uh, preventive maintenance done every so often. I would um, expect the producer to do the same with their instrument. And even more importantly, qualified personnel to run it. Because again, this is not like, a, you know, just a plug and play. Oh, let me do this. Like, like you mentioned before, alluded to before. Um, every day is a little experiment as you get these different matrices in and you need to have somebody who's qualified to understand what they're dealing with to be able to think on their feet and understand when things go out of whack or uh, or really understand the instrument itself. So yes, I think it's a great thing that folks should be doing, um, but it has to be in line with how the lab tests as well. Yeah, and that's a good point when you, when you talk about just you know, competency, competency of the lab techs. And you said that, you know, there's 40 plus labs in California. And as we know, cannabis is a very complicated matrix with a lot of different compounds and pesticides that have similar molecular weights to the compounds. And 
you know, not that you need to name any names, but how much of this variation could come down to just, you know, either, whether it be inexperience or incompetency as well? Huh, you know, that, that is a very good question. And I don't know if we'll ever find out. I feel like um, it's complex. However, um, cheating is easy, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I think right. folks hire some pretty intelligent folks um, um, and cheating is really easy. Cheating consistently is not easy, right? And that's where you start to weed out uh, those labs. And we've seen all kinds of stories in the headlines of you know recalls and labs doing this and that. Um, so I think um, a lot of it, I wouldn't chalk it up to competency. There's a, per, a percentage of it. I do chalk it up to uh, direct negligence um, on either the analyst, the, the, the lab, ownership management staff it's 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 intent right of course it's hard to prove intent but i think you know if you look in the right places you can see that <laughs> um and 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 that's what unfortunately really bothers me in that with with this competition that's happening is not being regulated in the right way and we cannot expect the lab to be you know the the regulators um i think the state needs to listen when when folks do tell them about potential issues and they should do the due diligence and they've done great i know you know 43 laps across the state or more and you know so many staff in the state to be able to handle this they've done a great job you know doing their uh, their own audits and whatnot but you know maybe there's some better ways to make it a little bit easier to weed out some of these unscrupulous players and, um, you know, that's always something, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to help if needed. Um, I think we all need to be the beacon in this industry. You know, like somebody once said, all boats rise in the tide and, and California needs to set an example. Excellent. All right. So, so winding down here and forgive me, but I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit. <laughs> so it sounds like, I mean, you're in support of, of standardization and, and this push here obviously probably with some caveats too, like that, you know, there, there's a certain uh, level that you're, you're willing to go to. So, so what is that? So say I'm putting you in charge of standardization of labs in California. Um, how would you do it? Oh, wow. Yeah. You definitely put me on the spot. There. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't ready for that one. Um, no, but honestly, how would I do it? Um, I would kind of follow USB's footsteps. You set out some or, or work, you know, not just USP, but work with AOAC, work with ASTM, with some of those compendial methods out there. Make sure it's modern, first of all. You know, nobody wants to work with a method that is using uh, some ink blood test or whatever. But yeah. um, really look at, okay, if you want to analyze cannabinoids, you can say, give a, a myriad of detectors you should use a myriad of instrument types you should use. And I'm talking about, you know, HPLC or LCMS. I'm not talking about manufacturer specific instruments. Um, um, a column specification, right? Uh, some mobile phases. There are certain parameters. I would say this should be followed. And each lab would essentially, you'd have a couple options. Um, you have to be able to replicate the standardized method and you can have your own um, innovative method as well, right? So, and those two, based on whatever analytes you're looking at, should match, right? So if I randomly send you 
a sample and I say run it on, you know, the, the your your standardized method and your own innovative method, you should come up with the same results. That's how I would do it. Have the labs sort of maintain um, a state reference method and they can, you know, report on their own method based on a, a validation that meets the criteria that was set forth. So validation is important as well. Set specific criteria and specific uh, ways, reference the FDA or, or whatever other uh, organization um, you would like to reference as far as validation um, parameters and enforce that. Secondarily, continue having blind round, round robins sent out um, randomly throughout the year to make sure that labs are in line. Conduct a more regular audit and audit the different areas of the lab, not just you know a certain assay or a certain uh, personnel or, uh, or instrument, but keep it fresh, right? This is how you keep people on their toes. This is how you keep people honest. Um, that's really what I would focus on. And uh, additionally, you know, the, the potency thing is a huge issue, but I'm more concerned about contaminant levels, um, mm. making sure that labs are not putting things out there that folks, that could be detrimental to folks' health, right? That's very important. You know, yeah, they can play the potency game, but when you start messing around with instrument limited detection to pass things that perhaps shouldn't be out there for, you know, we always talk about immunocompromised patients, but it's not just about them. It has to be the entire population. Whether I'm immunocompromised or not doesn't mean I want to smoke a product full of chlorphenopyr or, or metoclopride, right? Um, nobody really knows how this affects your body based on the uh, route of administration. So that has to be of utmost importance to the state. And I guess that's what I would really focus on, finding innovative and efficient ways to enforce while um, enforcing on um, modes of validation, I think, as opposed to trying to stick a lab to say, oh, only analyzes four cannabinoids by diode array detector. And, and that'll be the standardization. <laughs> right. All right. Well, you handled the question well, Annie. Very, very good. <laughs> Try. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to let you go. Thanks so much for, for joining us. And uh, it'll be very interested to see how this all plays out in California. And um, good luck. Yeah. Th thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Iniafia. Check out the links in the show description to learn more about the topics we discussed. And thanks again to our sponsor, CannaSafe. We will be back with a new episode on February 2nd, Groundhog Day. That's two weeks from today. In the meantime, please do check out all the great resources we have at CanMedEvents.com. You can view the CanMed 2022 schedule, explore the CanMed archive, listen to previous podcast episodes, and of course, sign up for email alerts. If social media is more your thing, you can stay connected with us on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Just search for CanMed Events. And speaking of Facebook, check out our CanMed Community Facebook group. It's a great way to connect with your fellow attendees and presenters in between events. And one last thing, please rate, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Doing so really helps the podcast reach more listeners. 
Okay, that's it from us. Stay safe, stay healthy, and please join us for the next Can Med Coffee Talk.